You're listening to the ConsumerFi Podcast, powered by Norbridge, loan software that accelerates change. Welcome, everybody, to the ConsumerFi Podcast. I am stoked today to have a longtime man. Everybody's a longtime ally, but but you know th- this is actually a good one uh, versus the others that I had on. That was that, that was that was bottom shelf. We brought the top shelf today with David Bafumo of F and I. David, welcome. Thanks, Joel. Great to see you. So David specializes in all matters uh, compliance or risk uh, management based that would really hit home for lenders but also at dealerships. Um, David, do you want to give folks kind of the, the, the your, your background and, and kind of uh, tell us a little bit about F&I? Sure. Thanks, Joel. Yep. So F&I is a, really a product and compliance agency. We work with lenders, uh, consumer finance companies, auto finance companies, and their uh, dealers and associated dealers with um, add-on protection products for customers. Um, and our specialty in the marketplace is designing the compliance piece around how those products are sold, either at the finance company, through the finance company, or by the dealership. And um, that's, uh, you know, taken on a a life of its own uh, about eight years ago, and it's been quiet for a few years. And I think um, we're uh, getting back into an environment where uh, attention is back on how these products are are sold to customers and how they're financed by the banks that um, provide additional financing for them. So I'm I'm eager to hear what... uh, you, uh, you, and um, you heard direct from the CFPB this uh, this week. This is, sounds really exciting. Yeah, it's a great lead-in. So, as folks may know, uh, I, I serve as the president of the National Automotive Finance Association, and one of my mandates that I threw out when when taking that role was I, I really felt that we needed to make sure that we had a presence with the CFPB, that they knew who we are, that we weren't obscure to them. They knew the they knew the services that we provided. They knew a little bit about our members and they knew that they could use us as a mechanism, right? For getting messages communicated out. The worst thing is when you get these memos that come out that are kind of vague or nebulous that say, we're looking at this thing, but the, you need might, might need a little bit more prescriptive uh, information in order to kind of bring it together. And David, this is why I'm so thrilled to have you on. David's going to provide some commentary and some feedback. We've not even gone through this information prior. So we're going to poke through some of the information that I shared with the Bureau a couple of weeks back. And David is, I think, invaluable in this conversation because he has experience. You're you're still a road warrior to some extent. I mean, he's in and out of dealerships along the mid-Atlantic for sure, where he where he resides, but also with lenders doing everything from the risk mitigation things, as well as compliance programs, right? David, we didn't really talk about your, you have a, a heavy compliance uh, resume as well. Well, we work, you know, we work with over a dozen um, auto finance and consumer lenders around the country, uh, supporting their uh, protection product programs that they either have on their own or that they, um, you know, provide additional funding for through dealerships, both both ways. And the compliance services that we, we offer are really um, directed at those around those products and making sure that the, the lenders have a, uh, a documented policy for what they're going to fund, how they're going to fund it, um, and as best they can to give them some structure around how they expect the dealers, if it's, a, if it's an indirect relationship, how they expect the dealers to sell those products. Yeah. Uh, and we do some support around that. We do also some on-site risk assessments. We've done uh, locally in some states specifically in, um, in New York 
um, with the local agencies there. And um, we have a kind of a limited uh, view of what we do and we pull in um, expert compliance people to support uh, the areas that really aren't our specialty outside of the product and um, indirect auto space. That's great. So I'll be going through a little bit of the slide deck that I had pulled together for any of the listeners um, that want to get a copy of this. Uh, I encourage you to reach out to me directly. If you're, if you're listening to the, the, the podcast, you're probably connected with me on LinkedIn. If not, uh, just hit me up at Joel Kennedy, the number one at outlook.com. And I will be happy to send out a copy of the slide deck that I presented to the Bureau. But slide deck is just one piece. We want to talk about uh, reading the tea leaves. So the, the, the Bureau is, look, I mean, my experience with the Bureau is that, and I work with, with folks like Damien and, 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 and folks like that, they're, they're experienced people that have had operators experience, okay? And they understand compliance. Really, so it's not a full-scale education with these folks. It's really just more about updating them and maybe just revisiting topics that um, perhaps may escape some grasp of some members on their team. But I have to tell you, it's not really that big of a deal. Um, they They seem to get it when we share the information. So we started out by talking about the fact that, and this was a hot topic, David. I don't know if you had read the Wall Street Journal article that came out a couple of weeks ago that received an immediate rebuttal from the folks at APSA. But um, a lot of that talk was about what is the denominator of these statistics that you're talking about? So we know that since 2015, that subprime as, as an overall participant in the market has the, the, it has been on a downward trend. So overall subprime is down 17% since 3Q of 2019. And, the, and we're looking at 3Q 2020 figures as, as, as the starting point. Mm-hmm. Deep subprime is down twice that, 35% over 3Q of 2019. Um, and, and, and we've been on a downward trend since 2015. And this was something that uh, Melinda Zabritsky, who was one of my first podcast guests, made mention to. Um, this is coming from the bureaus, okay? So this information uh, is uh, this is this this particular information is from from Experian. David, have you seen within the lenders and within the dealerships are they feeling this drop off in the volume uh, of the non prime participants, or it could be I don't know. Maybe you're working with folks where they're regional and there's you know it, it's it's it doesn't really amplify to their level. Well, I think there's no question, um, and we, you know, we have clients on the east and west coast, and in the middle. And I think there's no question that everybody in the subprime space is—they're uh, all fighting harder um, for a declining number of, of opportunities. Um, and I, I don't know if that's um, because there are less uh, subprime um, opportunities in general, or if the subprime quality has deteriorated to where it's not really even subprime anymore, and they just can't be be, be done. Um, but there's definitely a, been a decline in, in originations and opportunities for uh, around the country, um, I, for sure. I, I kind of blame a little bit of, of a hangover effect of the Great Recession in that a lot of the, the major bank type players that were deep, that were into subprime and even deep subprime, attrited and never came back. And so I think that that creates uh, a, a bit of a gap uh, we're seeing low, lower vehicle held inventories, and I think just all all across the board, 
less of a powerful need to take on that heavy risk taking. You see people that like to refi and buy maybe maybe a little bit higher tier credit and shave that rate a little bit, but bring them on because they know that while they may not be getting the yield that they want, they can buttress their portfolio with more quality, right? And so if 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 they're trying to replenish things, if you replenish with with higher quality things, then they should have longer terms and, and lower default uh, for the full term. There's, and so, there's yeah. also, you know, there's also now, I mean, in the last, at least probably during this the last four months, I mean, there's also the added pressure of the uh, wholesale markets which um, you know the, the cost and price of inventory is, is getting of used inventory is getting to the point where you know a subprime deal is even harder to figure out how the math is supposed to work when the yeah. uh, when the car is so expensive um, to begin with. So um, there's been some distortion there too, for sure. Well, and now we hear today that, um, and it was only a matter of time. You know this: the dealers who have the inventory that are rolling them through auction. Now, now I hear news today saying uh, these cars are a little more banged up than they were last week or two weeks ago. So they're saying, screw it. Why? It's like you're selling a house. Why would I bother to fix it up when everybody else sold their beater for, for millions? Why would I bother to like redo the kitchen and bath? I can just sell yeah. it as is and, and get that bogey. And, and that's a really danger point for, for lenders right now in the sub, subprime space. And we're seeing that a lot on even, I mean, on our product side with, uh, with mechanical breakdowns and so forth, where... Um, the quality of of the file of the collateral that we're seeing now is is def definitely declined uh, mm. at the point of origination too. I mean, so the dealers are um, uh, in some cases, you know, the the, the inventory is rougher for sure. Yeah. So rolling into the next stage, we talked a little bit about delinquencies, where you know, I, I at least what I was looking at, and I was looking at the Kroll bond data, which is an aggregation of not just the bonds that Kroll has rated and chimed in on. They take a broader view, even the ones that they didn't um, make a, 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 a statement on, they included in the population. And so, you know, all in all, they, the delinquencies are meaningly, meaningfully lower on a year over year basis. We're seeing some little bit of a spikes and we've seen that due to some seasonality or some um, transitioning of individuals from being uh, supported by uh, government stimulus, but yeah. all in all, um, you know, I, I was my conclusion was that the net losses, even though the delinquencies are kind of flat, but the net losses that fl would normally throw th flow through that are are essentially on hold because a lot of the companies we had had bit of repo moratoriums across different pockets, and so, um, but that did kind of resolve itself toward the second half of the year last year. Um, and so that's that's what we we're seeing on delinquencies, David. Have you been hearing or, or seeing anything different on that? I mean, my 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 kind of final thought is delinquencies and everything on through, it's it's artificially lower because of the stimulus and because also because of the lender help that we that we've provided with forbearance. It's definitely. I mean, every every company I've spoken to has um, remarked how um, low delinquencies have been during this entire uh, environment that we've been in for the last year. And that stimulus money and assistance money has definitely been used um, to, to pay, uh, pay debt, which is a little bit of a surprise to a lot of people. Um, but it's also, as you said, I mean, there's, there's a period here uh, down the road when it's going to stop and then we're going to really get a picture of what what's out there. I think nobody really knows what the, what the real world looks like quite yet. Yeah. So we talked about delinquencies. So then you can, you can say, okay, delinquencies are looking pretty good, but what about roll rates? Right? So like what, 
what are the waves that are coming that could drive borrowers into these later stage delinquency buckets? I would say in 2020, we saw some spikes that were then resolved through some of the stimulus and some of the um, forbearance packages. Um, but the roll rates that we had been seeing historically, it seems that we're kind of heading back towards equilibrium. Um, but as we take away this government stimulus and as we take away these forbearance programs or we age out of them, I, I do expect to see that we're going to see some more repossessions. And then that, that, that really leads us into another part of the conversation. But in terms of roll rates, David, uh, it, you know, I mean, anything you've been seeing that, that is a cause of concern with any of your lenders or the dealers that you work with that, that happen to hold the paper? Uh, probably a little bit outside of my space, Joel. To, Not a problem. To address that, yeah. Yeah. I love to put you on the spot. All right. So collateral recovery. Um, uh, what I And my date is from Cox Automotive uh, that the 2020 volume definitely softened. But we're probably going to see an uptick here this year. And at the time that I built it, it was pre this extra next stimulus package that came out. So now it's just really about playing this game of when is the other shoe going to drop? At yeah. what point in 2021? And we, we all do believe it's going to drop. Yeah. And I, I don't know there's any way of knowing what it's going to look like. I mean, it, it so much depends on... Um, on the rest of the recovery of, of our industries, of, of the industries that support our, our segment of, of, of business. I mean, what's gonna happen to the restaurant workers? What's gonna happen to, what's gonna happen to all those, all of those service areas um, that are at, you know, 50% capacity and not even anymore because of government closure, just because people aren't doing those things anymore. Um, the, the real impact of, of what happened last year and um, is I, I just don't think anybody knows what it, what it's going to look like yet for a well, yeah. segments of industries that support our, that support the incomes that we, uh, you know, we use for, uh, you know, in our industry for financing, you know? Yeah. I, I too am concerned about the folks that are on the losing side of the K-shaped recovery, which you named hospitality. Um, oh, commercial, commercial, travel. commercial office space. I mean, for example, I mean, you yeah. know, look at my rent is super low here. Right? <laughs> uh, even with all these people, even with all these people, <laughs> right. here, um, you know, we have here, even in, in North Carolina, I'm in Raleigh, uh, where, which is a huge growth area, you know, and, and uh, we've got, I just drove through uh, a carryout office park area, which is kind of hidden in a forest. And there's I, I, numerous giant office buildings back there. And I don't think anybody's in them anymore. I mean, they're all spaces available. All the restaurants around them are closed for lunch now because there's nobody going to work in yeah. them. Uh, so yeah. there, it's not just the service. I mean, there's going to be some repercussions that uh, trickle down to everybody when uh, when when commercial property now is, uh, is kind of in limbo in a lot of cases. My opinion here, nothing. It's not worth anything, but my opinion is that this is more akin to a structural economic uh, unemployment situation that is going to require uh, additional support through to the individuals, whether it's continued benefit for unemployment based on the job type or the industry segment or what have you. But we have to we have to keep fighting for these people. The problem for us as lenders is that if you're not gainfully employed, it's really hard for me to rationalize giving you an automotive loan. Hopefully, hopefully 
you know, hopefully that's not happening. I mean, that's just, um, that's really the only, the only, <laughs> I don't see a lot of sub, subprime crisis things, but if, um, if there's a bunch of loans going on with people with no income, that's a problem. Uh, obviously, you know, I hope that that's not happening. Uh, and it seems to me from what, um, from what I've gathered from uh, our business partners, that uh, POI in particular is one of the things that definitely um, got the magnifying glass um, last year, and then that's continued. So I think even companies that were um, more flexible or less or less conservative on proof of income have, in this environment, tightened all those rules, buttoned all that up. And that's, in my opinion, which is also probably fairly worthless, um, that's smart and, and imperative uh, in this environment for risk mitigation. One of the things that the Bureau was really interested in, in hearing us talk about, David, was um, kind of the voice of our lenders, the, the, the members of the National Automotive Finance Association. We provided them a number of points, and I'll call out a couple and, and just jump in when something strikes a chord with you. But um, you know what we've been hearing is that lenders are saying that there's increased competition among them, and they have kind of a, a, a murky forecast for the next couple of years. And so we have that increased competition, and we also have a, l- a relatively low cost of capital. Um, and that, that should generally mean that lenders can take on some more risk. Um, we have the increase in wholesale prices, and that's obviously impacting them. And you look at your portfolio in certain ways about you know which vehicles to repossess and when, and what kind of vehicles do you really want to replenish on your portfolio? I can see some, some things maybe changing there. But now we get into some points of pain, and I'll list these, and then I'll 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 double back with you just so I can get through it. But so credit reporting complexities, right? So during the pandemic, uh, some companies took different measures to change reporting or to make sure that the really just that the consumer wasn't hurt based on the situation and the forbearance programs that were offered. And so I think there's some confusion there because we know from a compliance standpoint. If you mess something like that up, you expose yourself and the consumer can take you to, to court for something like that or, or get the, the, the debt kind of um, uh, wiped. Um, one of the big fears that the automotive lenders had that we wanted to make sure we got through to the Bureau is that we as automotive lenders, we distinguish ourselves and differentiate ourselves rather squarely and flatly versus the uh, payday lenders. We are not payday lenders. And that's an item of concern that we get lumped in with them because that is just two totally different business models, two totally different instruments, two totally different situations. Um, As you know, David, many of us who came up, worked in financial services companies that are not bank entities and and are not debt collectors, there are certain statutes that we tend to I think most of us tend to follow as though we were a debt collector, even though if you're collecting on your own originated debt, um, it's not. It doesn't meet the definition. But what we're what we're hearing, and we we told them was, you know, we still don't feel comfortable with the definition that you know we you won't come after us, you know, as though we were a bank and hold us to that level of scrutiny. Um. And then the last two, you mentioned one about consumer fraud, which I, I, from what I hear is definitely up. But then the other big one that I think is is going to continue to be discussed, and I just saw the LendIt, I think LendIt or one of these other conferences are going to talk about the role of, of um, 
of artificial intelligence within underwriting, right? So these models, when they train themselves, they don't know how to they don't know how to remove bias, and they tend it, they they have a likelihood to impose that. I think you can control for it. I think you can put some parameters around it. But okay, so there there we go. So I said too much. You're I'm supposed to let you talk. You're saying are you saying you're talking about bias? Like what kind of bias? Like discrimination bias or or uh, what, yeah. what kind of bias do you mean? In it inadvertent bias. So the the models are going to you know as they train themselves, they don't have an appreciation for protected class. Oh, for yeah, for discrimination. Yeah. And so, you know, somebody who may argue that there are certain characteristics of a protected class that came from being underserved has resulted in certain uh things that are showing up on their credit bureau in terms of performance. They just didn't have as many options. The only options they were given were high-cost options. Or maybe they high cost option with a low quality vehicle, right? So um, I think with the artificial intelligence models, the, you purposely don't train them to take into the account the the gender or race of an individual. However, as the model is deployed, if you don't back test it and check to make sure that it's not uh, hurting these individuals, then they kind of this is how they're looking at it. It's a very HUD based approach. I don't know if you remember the. The BISG with HUD. Oh, well, I can tell you what you're talking about, Joel. To me, is is probably the biggest threat to our industry in this in this environment that we're in right now. You know, I I back back eight years ago, um, I, I was worried about um, the impact on the product business, and it was definitely a high profile thing. In some in some cases, in some states, this uh, add on product stuff is still very top of mind uh, from a compliance and regulatory. Um, consumer protection effort by local regulators and, so, and such. Um, but right now, uh, starting in January, with, without anything, everything that we've learned about the direction of, um, of government's involvement uh, in consumer protection from last, from last year through the election into now, is that the, um, what, what you're referring to is really what's emerged as disparate impact back then yes. uh, and it, it did come from the mortgage lending world and all that stuff that's that to me is is without any doubt the number one issue and it's not limited to artificial intelligence and and scorecards it, it it's going to it applies in this environment where now it applies to any kind of uh underwriting that's going on if you've got um a portfolio where a protected class is paying more money than somebody else for whatever reason it's going to come under scrutiny. And I don't know how you defend against that, to be honest with you, because um, most companies, even the ones that are doing it right, and most, you know, all of our folks are trying to do the right thing. Nobody's yeah. building a discrimin discriminatory underwriting system. It's the right. stupidest thing you could do. So it's certainly not done intentionally. Right. Um, intention doesn't matter anymore yes. in a lot of these things. And that concerns me probably the most about, about the future for everybody. <laughs> is, is uh, when you lose that intention um, piece. Yeah. Yeah. The Bureau is very concerned about the treatment of the deep subprime consumers. Yes. And, you know, there's a part of me that really feels very justified in saying, well, nobody has more experience in dealing with them than us in our yep. market. We're, we are the, 
in, in one light, we're the lender of last resort. In another light, we're the, we're the only game in town for a lot of these people. And so, and we understand that. And you know what? We actually love and respect our customers. We really do. Our, um, our, our clients are trying to help people get cars that they can't otherwise possibly get. And nobody, right. no bank uh, or, or even credit union is willing to help them. And our, our clients are. Uh, and they're right. trying to do it the right way. There's just uh, when the rules change uh, without telling anybody or, um, you know, the, there has to be certainty in, in expectations and, and rules um, so that everybody can can do it right. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I've been beating a drum for that um, we're on the same page with the Bureau is, you know, think about back in, during COVID or any other time. If you're in a bad way as a borrower, please don't go silent. Just at least, even if it's just sending an email or a text or something, just saying, I'm not going to be able to make this payment. I, I got laid off. I don't want to give up the car. You know, whatever the situation is, yeah. I think you'll be surprised at how much assistance you can open yourself up to if you're just open and honest. Um, and, and that was something that we, we had a really solid common ground on. And I was just really pleased to hear the Bureau mention that. They also talked about the future of risk-based pricing as it pertains to dealer participation. And this was an issue that had come out, I think, at the advent yeah, of Dodd-Frank. Dodd uh, yeah, that was one of the original uh, issues. Yeah. Are you seeing, uh, is dealer participation, I do not track dealer participation within lender programs at all, but I think you you kind of, you might be in a better position, David. Is that something you've been seeing? Have you seen any change to that or is it about I've, the same well, as it's I've been? I've seen a lot of change to it. Um, really, what the the dealer, um, the NADA, the, Net, the Franchise Dealer Association um, did a great job of uh, getting in front of that back when it's years ago. And mm. so I think it's certainly in the franchise dealer space, there's a lot of structure around how that, how that impacts at the at the time of sale at the customer level. There's a lot of changes that have been made to protect consumers in that case and be more transparent about um, about the uh, the rates and the cost of of the money, which is what the whole concern was. Um, on the lender side, it's a very rare thing um, in subprime. So I, I don't think that it's something that necessarily applies particularly in 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 subprime finance. Um, we don't see a lot of of rate participation options, even when you get to that subprime and deep subprime level, unless maybe you're talking about a very large uh, national bank, possibly, but it's diminished. Yeah, at a minimum. So the final one, and this this will this was is probably the most interesting topic of conversation because it's extremely murky, and it's this concept of racial and economic equality. Yeah. So. If the bureau were to say, we'd like to understand you, we'd like you to cut your data, your results of consumer performance in the portfolio by uh, gender or race or things of this nature, right? Because we want to see if there's if there's a disparate treatment happening right. at repossession or with escalating uh, and skip tracing or what what have you. Yeah, my answer to that is. I can't do that. It's impossible because I don't have that information. If I were to have that information, it would have to have it would have to reside behind a firewall with only a lawyer on staff 
being the only one, not even the CEO, not even the chief legal officer, just one, it could be chief legal officer, I suppose, but one individual legal to have that information. And then they come out with, here are our actions for how we're going to remediate something if there's an issue. HUD obviously is a totally different world. And we see they're taking a page from HUD, but we don't have our loans packaged up and bought by these uh, government entities that ultimately support the industry for automotive. That doesn't happen. And it still happens in mortgage. So David, this is the big one. So if we're going to head into a space where we need to manage racial and economic equality, uh, but also be able to measure and monitor and track against it posthumously, how are we going to do that? Yeah, it's it's virtually impossible. And I it's the it's the issue we started just talking about a minute ago. It's it's the biggest risk. And the risk is I don't think that anybody really wants you to even do that. I think they're going to look at the portfolio and say, well, you know what? It looks like from our data analysis, based on these X, Y, and Z factors, which they which they've done in the past. They did this with the original district. It'd have, it have to it'd have to be starting with some kind of geography. Yeah. Right? Well it's it's 70. I mean it's it was like I think back back when this happened originally, I think it was like 70 or 80 percent accurate or something like that uh, at best. At yes. best. And they would say, okay, it looks like we think 70% of these people based on their their last name or their zip code or their first name and their zip code or whatever, they had some secret sauce there that was sort of right, you know, like blackjack, you know, it was a percentage, but it was not perfect. And it was far from perfect. Um, I think that's really all they care about. And they, they you know, uh, to, I, I don't see anybody saying you're going to be able to track those things because that, as you said, creates a whole nother nightmare of, of potential more problems than it than it uh, could solve of so, having that data of, around. Yeah. And that's the big one, right? So I kind of feel like this in, in terms of bringing it all home. I feel a lot more comfortable with our industry's ability to manage to changing directions, regulatory, et cetera, because we have, I mean, just through the NAF alone, and obviously there's other training programs. AFSA has some good training programs as well, but David, We've graduated over 650 in the Consumer Credit Compliance cert Certificate Program, which is like the, the Certified Manager Program. Yeah. And David, we've graduated over 4,200, the NAF has, in wow. the Compliance Certificate Program. So this is for all of your frontline associates, right? So we've already gone through all of this and we're prepared. Whereas I think when Dodd-Frag came out before, I don't know what the numbers were. I have to say for a lot of the smaller regional lenders, they might've bought a package from a lawyer and 20 years ago and never updated it or whatever. I feel like we're in a better position, but that's the one that it's going to take some navigating. It's going to take some smarts to really kind of figure our way forward I, I on, think on that it, issue. It is. And, and you're right, but that's, you're right. This, it, the, the advantage is that everybody is definitely much better prepared um, for what lies ahead now than, than we all were in 2012 or 11 or 10, whatever that, that was, um, definitely better prepared. And the, you know, the only thing I, that what I would leave you with on that is to say, look, the best you can do is keep on doing everything the right way. Um, but um, also make sure if you haven't already, make sure you can prove you were doing it the right way. Right. And that means a lot of extra documentation around all of your, your processes and your, and your policies. Um, I'll never forget one of the great 
I forget if it was, I forget if it was Eric John, I think it was Eric Johnson at the, uh, at one of the training sessions. And he said, uh, is, is it, is it ethical to create evidence? Yes, it is. And you should be creating evidence. Yeah. You and should you know. be creating uh, evidence as you go through. And if you're not creating evidence. Uh, yeah. And you, you? Audit it, and you audit it <laughs> yes. and it's all happening and, and that's more evidence. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So David, um, you know, we talked about some of the stuff that you do within, um, within dealerships and within lenders, a lot of great stuff with, with risk management and, and some compliance thrown in. If folks want to get a hold of you, maybe pick your brain. Um, what's a, what's a good uh, contact for them to, to reach you? How do you oh, yeah. like to be? You can, always, you can find me pretty easily on LinkedIn. I'm probably the only Buffumo on there. Um, and you can also uh, check out my website is uh, my FNI.com. David Buffumo at my F as in Frank, N as in Nancy, I as in Indio, Indigo. Yep. Was it? What's what's the I call sign? It's India, I think. India, India, India. I think I'm out here. Indio is like a uh, neighborhood out in uh, like Coachella. <laughs> oh man, I'm like all California now. I grew up back east, and I left it all there. Um, David, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And I did mention earlier, I have that presentation that we shared with the, with the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Again, if anybody wants a copy of that, please email me at Joel Kennedy, the number one, Joel Kennedy one at outlook.com. Be happy to share it with you. And also, in a special invitation to everybody look, if you're listening to the podcast, it's providing some value. Please seek out David and I. We're going to be at the AFSA Independence Conference yeah. in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the end of May. Okay. So this is the only message you're going to get on this. So you come and you see me or David. And if you want a Pappy Van Winkle, David will pick up <laughs> your tab. No, oh I'm just kidding. We're good for a drink. I think we're both always good for a drink, right? But please let us know if you've listened to the podcast, you have something to say. We like to keep the dialogue going. You know, we're not just here to 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 to, to sling our products, right? We're, we we do care about the greater ecosystem and the American consumer, obviously. Otherwise, we wouldn't be involved in things like AFSA and, and NEF. Thanks for having me, Joel. Really appreciate it, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you and everybody uh, for the first uh, live experience in in quite a long time in uh, Fort Lauderdale. So. I've never been so excited to get a second shot of anything. Uh, although, yeah, exactly. I mean, like a shot in the arm. <laughs> uh, other shots, right? Yeah. That's a, maybe another conversation we can have at AFSA. <laughs> so. Thanks, David. Thank you, Joel. Have a good one. The Consumer Five Podcast has been brought to you by Norridge, loan software that accelerates change. We'd also like to thank the National Automotive Finance Association the only trade association exclusively serving the non-prime auto financing industry.